0: Hey everybody, I'm Mike Valk Holler. Man, what a great day. What a great, great, great day. Man. Uh, you know, like the home group, I, somebody said, Mike should probably do a talk. I was like, man, I, this is my home group. Won't you let me get off one of these years or something? So I really felt that way. I really like, man, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe we should let somebody else go. So it was conflicting for me on the inside. But then, you know, somebody said, who are you? To, who are you? To, say that. It's God wants you to do. So I could just do what God wants me to do. So I, you know, spirit, spiritual speaker. <laughs> the best way I can tell you about anything spiritual is to tell you my story and share my experience with you. Everything that's spiritual for me is counterintuitive to anything I think. Everything I think is of me. Inevitably. So I'm going to just tell you just real quick. I got sober in the bay in the basement. I have I've been in five adult institutions, penitentiaries. I've been in the Oriental House 15 times. I was in the CBCF twice. I was in IVH three times. I was replicated to the Department of Youth Services three times. I was in foster care. What's that mean? That don't mean much. It just means that's my life. And I don't want to separate myself from nobody, especially no new person, by telling them that. But I just want to share the power of God with you. That's, that's the best way I can do that. So I get out of the penitentiary. I got nowhere to go. April, uh, November 8th, 2008. And this is what I said when I went to the penitentiary. I'm never doing it again. I'm never drinking ever again. This time I'm serious because the last hundred times I said I was serious, I must not have meant it. That's why my mind, my disease tricked me to think, you, you know, this time you mean business like I didn't mean in all them other times. So I got out of the penitentiary and close time to go home. Then I start thinking about the drink. More and more. Now, about a couple days getting out, I can't sleep because I'm thinking about the drink. So they call me to the quartermaster. It's time to go. And all I can think about is the drink. I got no other thought on my mind. I'm obsessed. I've been sober a while. I'm not, let me take it back. I've been doing some things in the penitentiary. century. Let me be honest. I've been doing some stuff. But my intention was that I was never going to do this again. So all I can think about is getting drunk. That's all I can think of. So I get out of the penitentiary, and I don't want to waste my gate pay on a bus ticket home. I want to take my little $75 that they give me, and I want to go get drunk. And that's all I care about. I don't care about tomorrow. I don't care. Alcohol is my solution. It's going to make all this go away. All this pain, all this fear, all this stuff, shame and guilt, and all this stuff. So I get out, and that's exactly what I do. I got arrested on the same day that I got out of the penitentiary for the fifth time for, uh, it's not important, but I got arrested on the same day in my state clothes, the clothes they give me to wear home. I got out. It was a minor misdemeanor. I got out of jail. had nowhere to go and no one to call, so I just went to do what I knew how to do. And the best way I knew how to do was I just hit the streets. I ended up moving into a drug house on, on the west side over on Rhodes Avenue. The house ain't no longer there. But I lived there and, and, uh, and every time I didn't live there, I just didn't leave there. How about that? I didn't, I just didn't leave. So, uh, one, one time, I, one night I was out on a bench. I was on a bench for a couple of days. Now see, if somebody shared, do you drink alone? It depends on who's buying, right? <laughs> and I got, I, I didn't, found a way to get some more. And I didn't want to share with nobody, so I went out on my own. And I was all by myself and, uh, I washed out. It had been a couple days went by. I ain't showered. And I went back to the home, which was the which was the dope house over in West Akron. And the house had been boarded up. So I just stayed away for another day or so. And I had nowhere to go. So I just broke into the back door. So I, my last few months were I lived in an abandoned basement over there in Rose Avenue. So I'm living out there. And I'm drinking to lit. I'm living to drink and I'm drinking to live. I got no other purpose or no other hope. My mind is completely consumed with the drink. I can't even think about anything else. I got two kids, and I say they're better with any man but me, because I can't stop. I've promised you and myself a thousand times I'm never gonna drink again. Over and over, how'd I get here again? I'm never gonna do it. How'd I get here again? I'm never gonna do it again. Let me go to rehab. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me go to. What? I've been to AA a thousand times. What well, do you know? What they told me don't drink and go to meetings. I can't not drink and go to meetings. As soon as I leave the meeting, I'm drinking. And I'm not coming back to the meeting while I'm drinking. I can't do that. So guess what I thought? Hey, don't worry. Not for me. It must be a, must be a place where somehow the people who really don't have it that bad, they just rally around each other and somehow make it. So I believed for myself there was no hope. I'd been wallering like you said at the altar, begging, please save me. Please, I got baptized six or seven times because I thought it didn't take. Me. I did. I did. I got saved a hundred times. No, ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. See, I got something else going on. I got alcoholism. See, identification. So here's what happened for me. I was out on the bench, two, three in the morning, got no more washed out, can't get another drink. Can't still steal another drink because the gas station's locked up. You got to go through the window. So I did what I knew to do when you're out in the middle of the night and you're living like I'm living. I started to steal. So I broke in the van, and the police drove by, and uh, they just kept on going. So I thought they were after someone else. So I kept on stealing all the car I was in. And uh, then they came back, but there was a whole bunch of them. And, uh, <laughs> and I had bags of change I found in that van, but I couldn't carry it because they were too heavy. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I couldn't get away. I mean, I ran and ran and ran and couldn't get away. And I just didn't want to go back to jail. I just didn't want to go back to jail. So I, I made a last gasp, and my last gasp was to run, run through these bushes, and I hope that the cops aren't going to see me. They're not, they're not going to get me if I just bail through these bushes. So I run as hard as I can. My run is literally a, a, just a walking looking like a run because I've been running so long. The cops, too. I mean, they've been running after me for hours. So I bailed through these bushes, and the bushes that I, it was nighttime. It actually was the top of the tree. And I hit the top of the tree and I fell down through the branches and landed on some railroad tracks. And my only thought was, oh, I don't think they're going to chase me down here. I think I got away. That's it. I walked. I didn't know where I was. It was in East Akron. I walked the railroad tracks. So I found something I knew. I came out on Arlington Street. Now I lived in West Akron and and I was washed up. Nah, I just don't care no more. I just want to, just want to get back to, I just want to go get some rest. So I, I went back. I walked back down. Market Street. That's the fastest way back to the west side. It's straight down East Market, through downtown, up West Market Hill, and back to Rhodes Avenue where I live. So there's there's the beginning of spirituality for me. Here's the beginning. God had reached out. See, now, I I know today, now, this is just my story. But I can look back today and see God in the very worst pit of my life. You see? So I'm walking down Market Street, and I get to the Route 8 bridge right there by City Hospital. And I, I weigh about 170, 170 pounds a day. At this time, I probably weigh about 115, 120. Maybe. I only own one maybe if I'm lucky, I change of clothes. There's no water in that basement. There's no heat in that basement. There's nothing. There's nothing. And that's how I'm living. I steal food from the Circle K. And I, when I say food, I mean like them TV dinners. And I steal them TV dinners and I cook them outside on a twig fire in the backyard over there in Rhodes Avenue. That's what I was doing. So I'm walking down roads, I'm walking down Market Street, I get to the City Hospital Bridge, or the the Route 8 Bridge, and I see my arm, because I'm walking, I've been walking, I'm so tired. I looked at my arm, it was this big, and I'm nothing but skin and bones. And it reminded me of how, my arm being that skinny, reminded me of how much I hated myself. Pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. There's nothing I wouldn't do for another drink. It don't matter who you are, it don't matter who I am, because king alcohol ruled for me. And that had to be served. And that meant at the expense of everything of me. Morals, values, pride. all it didn't matter no more. So I seen, I just hated myself. I wished I was dead. I begged God to kill me. I was too coward to kill myself. I tried a couple times. It didn't work. So I seen my arm and I hated everything about me. I looked up to the sky and without no effort nor thought nor anything, I said a prayer. And I didn't mean to pray. I promised I didn't mean to pray. I said, I'm hungry. That's exactly what I said. Man, I'm hungry. And I meant it like this, you scandalous God who lets me live this miserable life. I'm hungry. That's that's pretty much it. And I'm telling you what, from about me to Daryl, as soon as I looked down, there was a slice of pizza on the sidewalk. Now, maybe someone threw it out the window. I don't know. But I know I prayed I was hungry and there was a slice of pizza on the sidewalk. I picked the pizza up. I picked the pizza up and examined it. It was cold out, so there was no bugs. I weren't even looking for bugs, but you never know. It was on the sidewalk, right? So I, it was perfect. It was a perfect piece of pizza. (laughs) It was like commercial Pizza Hut. (laughs) So I picked the pizza, and I held it like I bought it, and I walked down Market Street and ate my slice of pizza. Do you think I thought to say thank you? I didn't even think it was God. I didn't even know. I just thought, oh, I just come across a slice of pizza on the side with my bone. Right? <laughs> I, that's it. So I get back to my abandoned basement, and I got to go in the back door because, you know, I don't want nobody. So one thing I noticed is that uh, the back door is hanging on two hinges. So that was a little strange. So I looked in, and I found out that someone had broken my abandoned basement and stole my abandoned stuff. <laughs> And I thought to myself, ooh, breaks into a abandoned guy's house and steals a abandoned guy's stuff. They must be just terrible, you know? <laughs> so I was a little scared. So I, you know, examined the house. I did a little search. And uh, nobody was in there, so I shimmed up the door. And I went over to my stash. It was a medicine cabinet in the basement. It wasn't in the bathroom. It was just hanging, it was just leaning on the wall. And in that medicine cabinet, I kept a stash of wintergreen rubbing alcohol. And I took me a couple shots of that rubbing alcohol. I'm gonna tell you why I drink the rubbing alcohol. Maybe you never drink the rubbing alcohol, or nothing like that. And that's not. I don't. I don't say to separate myself from you, but let me tell you what happened for me. It quit working. I couldn't get drunk, and I couldn't even get high no more. Nothing I did worked. I would get all excited when I'd cop. I'd get all excited when I get a bottle, and I'd drink it till it poured out the side of my mouth, and I'd get no buzz at all. And I'd be like, "There's something wrong." And then in my mind, I was losing my mind. I thought, these people at the Circle K must know how bad I am. And every time I come in to buy something, they switch it with some fake stuff. <laughs> so I go to the other side of town to try to cop it. And I just couldn't get drunk no more. It was just eluding me. And here's what happened. See, that's a miracle. I know that today. Here's the miracle net. Had it kept working, I'd still do it. Because alcohol is my solution. Now the emptiness and the pain inside of me grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And it damn near drove me crazy. So I started drinking the rubbing alcohol because it did something. I don't know exactly what it did, but it did something. I tell you, it made me, it took me out of me just a little bit. It burnt. It was killing me. It was literally killing me. So I took a couple shots of rubbing alcohol and here's the miracle for me. Man, there's so many miracles. There's just so many. I took a couple shots of rubbing alcohol and I pulled my bed mattress off the wall and I get some blankets and I get what I could because it's cold outside and I just want to go to sleep. And every thought that the, the, my mind just started racing with these thoughts. Remember all the times you said you was never going to drink again? Remember when you promised them you wasn't going to do it? Remember when you got baptized and you got saved? Remember you promised your kids you was going to be there for them? And all these times kept coming and ringing to my mind. Oh, and here's what I come up with. Even when i meant to do good, I can't. Because here's what I used to believe. That I... When I said I wasn't gonna do it anymore, and when I said that I was gonna take care of my family and get a job and do these things and that thing, here's what I thought I, here's what I thought happened. I didn't really mean it. I must not have really meant it. But see, here's what happened in that basement. I found out I really did mean it, but I couldn't do it. I was powerless. So I fell at my knees and said, God, please help me. Please God help me. Nothing happened right then and there. I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I don't know what time it was. There was no clock. All I know is still daytime. That's it. I went outside. I went to the front of the Rhodes Avenue, and here's the first. Here's where I started seeing just my whole life started changing. I seen a little girl riding a bicycle with training wheels on across the street. She was happy as can be. Not a care in the world. She must have been two. And I looked across the street, and I seen her, and I said, man, God loves that little girl. I knew it in my place where you know stuff. I'm I'm serious. God loves that little girl no matter what she does. She's 100% pure and innocent. And there's nothing she could do to stop God from loving her. And it made me weep. I cried. Then the next, next thought or intuition that I had was this. Michael, God loves you the same way. And it was unbelievable. But I knew it. And I cried. I walked down to Circle K, I panhandled 50 cents off of somebody to use the payphone, and I called someone and I begged them for a ride. Please come get me. Please, I just need a ride. Where are you going? I'm going to a meeting. I didn't said my, I didn't have no planner that I'm going to a meeting on this day. That's sure not what happened. I was led here. I was led here. So I finally convinced him to come pick me up, and they dropped me off here. At this church is a different meeting than this place. And here's what happened. See, I've been running from the police, and I've been living in that basement. There's no washing machine down there, no soap, no toothbrush, nothing. And I was deathly afraid of what you thought of me because I had tricker bushes in me from running from the woods and stuff like that. I weighed 120 pounds. I've been eating TV dinners off the Twig Fire in the backyard. I didn't got over on anybody and anything. I hated everything about me. And if I hated everything about me, then you got to hate everything about me too. So I was scared when I come in here that you guys was going to judge me. I don't even know. It would just be common sense to stay away from me. Right? So I thought when I come in that everybody was going to go to this side of the room and I'll be by myself. You see? That's what I really believed. And I was scared to death. But somehow, in some way, or in some form or fashion, me knowing that God loves me as much as you loved that little girl gave me. See, I didn't have my own willingness. I can't, lack of power is my real dilemma. I ain't got no determination. It comes from God. I can't live as any spiritual principle in my own strength. And it'd be selfish for me to think so. I gotta have God's help. God give me just a little bit of help. He said, go on in here. Give me a little bit of willingness. And the willingness was this. Everything you do fails. Once you try doing something you don't want to do. So I come on in the meeting. Nobody laughed at me. Nobody made fun of me. Nobody did anything like that. Matter of fact, they showed me where the coffee was. I don't remember who the speaker was. All I remember is that they had coffee and there was cake because I was hungry. That's it. So I got some literature. I went and I went outside to bum the cigarette off somebody and I said, can, can anybody take me back home? And uh, they took me back to my abandoned basement in West Akron. And, and this is what I did for my first few days of sobriety. I read my big book and I found a Bible and I lit a candle and I prayed, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. My biggest dream I could dream and muster up was if I could just be sober and homeless. If, I could, if I'm going to be homeless, just let me be sober. Please, I just don't want to drink and I can't not drink. Please, and I just read this stuff like it was air or water or food. Oh, man, please help me. God, please help me because the prayer worked. It was desperate. It wasn't me trying to manipulate God into doing what I think is right to do. You see, my way don't work. I gotta have God's help, and it ain't—it can't be orchestrated by Mike. So I got—I went up to the King School meeting because I fired my sponsor when I was in rehab. One of them times, because I don't know why, because I was in rehab, and I didn't know no better. And uh, so I remembered he was at that meeting, so I went up there to get a sponsor, and I found him, and I said, "Will you please sponsor me? I'll do anything you tell me to do." And he gave me some suggestions to do, and I did them, and my life started to radically change. I ran into Roosevelt and probably the next, that same day, it was on a Wednesday. It was down at the Brown Baggers meeting. And he had to take me up to, to the detox because I needed to be in treatment. And why I needed to be in treatment was because I needed to get off the street. It wasn't because I thought I needed to be in treatment. See, I was still shucking and jiving a bit. So he gave me his number and he told me to call. And he said, this is what I do. I just call people and I say, hey, it's Roosevelt. I'm just calling touching base. So I said, okay, well, if it works for him, I'm going to do it too. So I started doing that. I started calling people and say, hey, it's Michael. I'm just calling touch and bass. But the problem with me calling people and touch and Base is I didn't have a phone. <laughs> so what I would, I was able to get my hands on a, uh, a little cell phone and I'd go down to the library and I'd go do a little survey to put one minute on my phone. And I was about to take five surveys a day. So I get five minutes. I use them in five minutes and I call one of you guys say, hey, it's Michael. I'm just calling touch and Base. What do I do? How do I do it? Where do I go? Where's me? What do I do? Can you pick me up? I, whatever. And you guys knew where to take it from there. So I'm so i doing this all the while. And and they quit doing that survey thing. And let me just tell you about how powerful God has showed up for me. Just that phone thing saved me because it got me out of myself and did something I didn't want to do, which was call you. I didn't want to do it because I need to do this on my own because I'm a man. Right? Or I'm a woman. I don't need nobody. Right? So my phone was dead. No longer get no minutes. I don't know how to call nobody no more. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm down at the library doing some step work. And I passed the pay phone at the second floor right by the restroom. And it said, out of order. And I said, yeah, that seems about right. So I said, what the hell? I reached in my pocket. I had a nickel. I put my nickel in the phone. Got my list of phone numbers. And they told me to get at least two every meeting. I called one. And it rang. And then he picked up said, it's Michael. I'm just calling to touch the base and now they're talking to me, I'm not paying attention because I'm surprised the phone worked off a nickel and it was out of order. Maybe that's why it's out of order. I got off the phone, I was so amazed I hung up and gave me my nickel back. So I kept calling. God made a way for me. So, see, here's, here's my experience. Maybe it's not your experience, here's my experience. Just like Nick said, God don't miss. If I just do what I can, whatever, to the best of my ability, God does the rest. Every single time, God has never failed me since I've been sober ever once. And a matter of fact, He never failed me when I wasn't sober. He just never did. I, you used to hate going to jail. I used to hate it. Nobody likes going to jail. Had it not been for jail, I might not be here. It saved my life. See? So I bought four months sober it's a lot of you know my story. I did did the sponsorship thing where I was supposed to go around and ask people what step one was, go around and ask people what step two was, ask people what step three was. Fine, whatever, it worked a little bit for me. I was stay I stayed sober. And I was starting to lose my mind. And I was invited to the workshop where Jack was. And I went up there and like you guys heard my story, it was too much AA. So six months over, about to lose my mind. I asked Jack to sponsor me and he took me to the big book in the way that you heard talked about here today page for page, line for line. And it revolutionarily changed my life. One of the very first miracles that happened for me was I got a phone call in the middle of the night and the phone call was that my little girl's been molested. That was just a phone call. Now how do you deal with that? Now I've been in uh, jail all these places my whole life and I didn't know what to do. So I put my boots on and I went to her. That was the best I knew to do. And I, didn't, I knew enough to do this. Pray. God, please, I don't know what to do. Please, something you know. So I prayed. And when I got there, it turned out that what you think of when you hear that is what I thought of when I heard that. It wasn't actually true. What happened was another girl who was probably 13 or 14 years old. My little girl was five or six at the time. She was just wanting to know about some stuff and used my little girl to figure it out. So my little girl didn't even know me. I've been in and out of jail. I'm on the streets and drinking my whole life. So I got hurt. You know why I even had... I got... My daughter's mother's name is Rachel. I purposely got Rachel pregnant because I thought if I had a little girl, I was going to be able to stay sober. My little girl was born and I stayed sober for about three or four days and it didn't work. I was back out drinking again immediately. So I abandoned my children. I got a boy and a girl. So I, I went to work the next day. I didn't have no skills. Some man in the program gave me some skills. Just like you heard that man talking about today, I teach them. Somebody taught me. Somebody gave me a chance. How could, I, how could I never say no to someone who wants a chance? So I'm at work and I'm mad at God. I'm like, God, you're blessing me. You're showing me. I'm crying when I get on the bus because the old lady did something nice for the other old lady. I see God everywhere I go. How's my little girl suffering and I'm getting blessed and I'm a scumbag? That's my truth. That's my true prayer. And I'm on the ladder, and, my, and the guy said, you ever think about calling children's services? You know what I said? We don't call children's services where I come from. <laughs> That's what I said to him. I didn't know. That's what I believed. That's how warped my mind was. And I'm telling you that, I mean, if you're new, what's up against you is everything inside your mind. the, The disease centers in our mind. It will tell me to do things that seem good but are bad for me. And just like Roosevelt said, I have to listen to somebody else tell me what to do or I'm doomed. Because my way don't work. And even when I got good intentions, I inevitably fail. And when I do right, I end up doing wrong. Because the disease centers in my mind. It's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it has always won. And I need some power and I need it quick. And I better get it and my way's not going to work. So I went home that day. I prayed about it. I called children's services. Turned out to the 40th phone call in regards to well-being and regards to my daughter. So they went and interviewed my little girl at school. And when my little girl got off the bus that day of school, the police were there took her mother to jail. It was a lot more than just what I said. And it took my daughter to, to a foster home. Now they called me and told me to come get her, but they wouldn't let me come get her because I got a record. I got a bad record. It's pretty extensive. It was really... Extensive. I mean, it's it's extensive as it is then, but it was fresh then. So they said, you know, you might as well just, you might as well just stay away. So at this time, I'm going through this workshop with Jack and I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff. I'm learning what alcoholism is. I got an illness. I got a physical allergy. All these things I had no idea. See, I'm not powerless for no reason. I'm powerless because I have an illness that makes me powerless. You see? Now I got some power today, it ain't mine. I got some power today. Step two come along. And I don't want to go through all that because we ain't got no time for that. But it's something changed my life. And you heard a little bit about it today from Lynn. It says when I lay aside prejudices and express a willingness to believe, then I will commence to get results. And we do that just like Lynn talked about. What do I believe about God? What do I not believe about God? What are my prejudices? You see, now I've, I've been telling you I believe in this, and you know Jack told me. It don't matter what your grandma believes. It don't matter what the preacher on TV believes. It matters, if you are all by yourself, what do you believe? You see? we got to get down to brass tacks. You see? And I was told to go somewhere to read that to God. And I was scared to read that to God. And I did. I said, God, I believe this, and I believe that, and I don't believe this, and this is why this. And my experience was this. Nothing audible, but it was sure intuitive. Who do you think you are? And I shrieked. And the voice in my heart said this, it don't matter to me what you believe, what you don't believe, it never changes me. It only changes you. And I love you. So then we went to do that third step. Selfishness and self-centered was the root of all my troubles. And I could look back through my life and see how I always thought if I could just get a car. If I could just get a license, if she just did that, if they would just treat me this way, if I got a break here, if this would happen for me, if I had a better job, me, 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 Mike, Mike, Mike. And I had to be rid of this selfishness or it was going to kill me. And I couldn't get rid of this selfishness in my own strength. I had to have God's help. So we got down on our knees and prayed the third step, prayer together. And with every fiber of my being, I gave myself to God as best I could there. And I wrote it. It was not no checklist inventory. Same with the fellas. We got down to causes and conditions. We got down to brass tacks. This changed my life. So I went to see my little girl, but they told me that my record was too bad. So I was reading my fifth step to Jack at the first floor of Mayflower. Then my sober house time was up, but I had nowhere to go out and live at the Mayflower. Down the first floor reading fifth step, I told Jack, he gave me a stool, and on the way to the CSB, as fast as can be, here's how you present yourself. Here's what you do. Here's how you talk to them. Here's when you don't talk. Blah, blah, blah. And I heard it all because we was doing it here in the meetings. So I went up to that place and all these people were trying to get custody of my little girl. I didn't even know them. And I was able to disagree like a father. And I said, see, your honor, please, I think my daughter would be best with me. You see? I disagree. And I was able to to disagree with, with people without ripping them a new one and interrupting them. I was able to do it respectfully. They didn't give me my little girl. They put her with something, they let her stay in the foster care, but they didn't give her to nobody else. So I started doing the visitation thing. I go see her, then she's allowed to come with me for the weekends. I got my first place right up the street here, a little, little one bedroom apartment above a garage. Boy, was I proud as could be for that little place. God was just, I just knew. I just knew. So I'm going to these things, I'm, everything that children's services wanted me to do, I was doing now False Anonymous. All they could have me to do was go do urine tests. So they give me a voucher. So I don't have to pay for them. So I had to go down there whenever I had a chance. I'd sometimes go down two, three times a day. And say, here, you know, when the judge, here's the here's the here's the reason. When the judge sees this, he's gonna know I mean business. I'm fighting for my little girl. My little I'm her father. So I'm working steps, I got that fifth step done. I go to St. Thomas and I uh I do a seventh step. My creator. It was easy. It, it, was e- it was not easy in the way that I wanted to do it so bad, I did it over and over again because I was scared it wasn't gonna take. I seen myself for who I was in the fourth and fifth step. And I didn't like it. You see? Please remove from me every single defect of character. You see? And I left all that St. Thomas and I was light as feathers. Changed my life. So I'm doing this whole deal. I start making amends. And I can't go into all this stuff, but I could talk about it for a long time. But I go to Children's Services and they really just weren't on my side. But a few months went by and me visited and with my daughter and me doing what I was supposed to do and following. That went to court one day and the un- unbelievable happened. The prosecutor, the Children's Services, the guardian line said, Your Honor, we recommend that Amaya Blower be put in full custody of her father, Michael Blower. I wasn't even a year sober yet. So I got this little girl. And guess what comes now? Practicing the principles in all my affairs. How do I do that? I need more God than I ever did. And when I got my little girl, I was scared to let her go to school. I was deathly afraid to let her go to school. I wanted to watch over her every single second, every single day. She'd been through the ringer. And God's been loving me with an unfathomable love. i got to share it with her. And I just needed, I gotta do, I gotta keep it right here. I can't let her go. So I did a hard thing. I said, God, I offer Amaya to thee to build with and do with as you will. Relieve me from the bondage of self. And I cried the whole while. You see, my little girl's been, she's an athlete. You see, she did good in school. She always gets good grades. Now let me tell you the difference now. <laughs> You know, school gets out a little early, I could I mean I don't mind if it go another hour no more. You see? It could go longer. So I get some <laughs> more stuff done. I'm just saying. But it works, and now I trust it. See, that was difficult for me to let go of my daughter. To so, God, it was so hard. I got an opportunity to do some amazing things in the community. I got an opportunity to work in the juvenile prison down in Mansfield for a couple years with the youth They gave me the keys to the prison. I got five numbers. It's crazy. It don't make no sense. You see? It just doesn't. I signed up to coach softball. My little girl plays softball. I signed up to coach. They let me do it. I couldn't believe it. This is my seventh year coaching. this year we were in first place, and we're doing fall ball. As soon as I leave here tonight, we have got practice at six. My little girls. I get to be a mentor, a coach, a, a, a role model to little girls. My daughter's 14. You see, i got some of the most amazing friends that I could ever dream or imagine as a direct result of trying to do something a way other than my own. See, alcoholism is killing people rapidly. You see, if you look at your own experience, if I could snap you for a one second of sanity and you can look back to your life and say, did it ever work before? Did your way ever work before? Tried before and failed. I got to try something new. Let me get a sponsor and we'll do whatever they tell me to do. Cause I'm going to tell you what, and my mind's going to tell me not to do it. But God can. God could and would if he was soft. Man, I'm, it's four o'clock. I'm going too long. But listen, I love, like you heard Tony say, I love you. Even though I don't know some of you, I genuinely, in my heart, in that place I was talking about, love you sincerely. I do. I've been given a gift, and it's not just for me. It's for you, too. It's free. Simple. You see? I love it. Thank you.